graciously giving me the opportunity to share some things with you. Um, is this too loud? Everybody here okay? Uh, about what's been going on with the uh, RH plan last six weeks. Um, there's no way I'm going to be able to squeeze six weeks in a few minutes. So I'm going to try to give you an overview and get some highlights. Um, start just by giving you the facts, but before I do that, I, I really want to thank this congregation. You guys poured out so much loving kindness on us during this time that um, it, it was it was overwhelming. Um, we're not used to being on the receiving end, and uh, I'm going to get into it a little bit more later, but, uh, you know, um, while we were there, I mean, my phone stayed lit up. People calling, people texting me, telling me they were praying. Um, and after we got back, uh, you guys provided meal sorts. And I can tell you, Pastor, we have some cooks in this church. Okay? They got some skill sets. Now, I want you to know too that, you know, we, we've been in this church 34 years, and over the years, Peg and I have done the same thing. We provided meals for people who were going through things, and, you know, we wanted to do that. Um, not really realizing the impact of that until we were on the receiving end. And I want you to understand that when you do things like that, don't minimize what you're doing. And you've heard me talk about this in the past. You know, everybody's got gifts and talents and opportunities to do things for people. Um, and a lot of times you do it out of the goodness of your heart, but you minimize it. Oh, it's no big thing, no big deal. And I've, I've discussed this with you in the past. You know, Jesus said even a cup of cold water given in my name will not go unrewarded. And, and you might think, a cup of cold water, what's the big deal there? You know, providing a meal for someone, what's the big deal? Ah, the timing. Timing is everything. A cup of cold water to a man in the desert dying of thirst is a big deal. Amen? Providing meals for people who have gone through some tough times is a big deal and it was huge for us now let me tell you what happened um, six weeks ago uh, April 10th on Tuesday uh, our daughter who uh, is a chiropractor in Houston um, got the feeling bad after she got off work and uh, she went to a walk-in clinic and they took a look at her and said, uh, no, um, you need to go to the ER. So she went to the ER. They examined her and said, uh, yeah, you are very sick. We're putting you in the hospital. So they admitted her that night and uh, she was very jaundiced. Uh, even her eyes were yellow. 
I started calling her Chiquita Banana. That's how yellow she was. Um, so Wednesday, um, they said, we're going to do an endoscopy on her, see what's going on with her liver. And so Peg said, okay, I'm going to go over there to be with her. I said, okay, I'll stay here and uh, handle the office, and uh, if, you need, if you need me, I'll come. So uh, she went. They did the endoscopy on Susan. They found out that her bile duct was plugged up with a bunch of sludge and a massive infection. So they cleaned it out and they put a stent in there to help it drain. <clears throat> and so they, they said, okay, we think that's going to take care of it. While they were in there, they looked at her gallbladder and they said, hmm, this doesn't look too good either. So we're going to schedule you for surgery the next day, Thursday. So I get a text from Peg early Thursday morning saying, Susan had a rough night. Uh, temperature went up to 103.3 or something like that. And they had to come in and pack her in ice. And they got the temperature down some, but then it shot back up again. And she said, so they're, they're coming in pack her in ice again, but they're still going to do the surgery today. So I said, okay, uh, keep me posted. If I need to come, I will. Well, about an hour later, I get this frantic call from our daughter, Susan. Dad, you need to get over here right now. She's crying hysterically. I said, whoa, 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 you know, calm down. I can't understand what's going on. She said, Mom just collapsed in my room. They wheeled me out, and they're in there doing CPR on her, CPR on her right now. So I said, uh, this is not good. I said, okay, okay, keep me posted. Well, about that time, the hospital chaplain showed up, which I thought was a God thing, to be with Susan, got her kind of calmed down a little bit. Well, this went on for a while. They were doing CPR, and they had to rotate, rotate people out because they were, they were getting tired and working on her. That went on for something like 12 or 13 minutes. Finally, they came out and they said, okay, we, we got a pulse, we're taking her to the ER. So Susan told me that, I said, okay, I'm on my way. So um, I called two people. Uh, Call my dear friend Brian Beduzzi. Brian's out of town today, but uh, I said, uh, told him what was going on, and I said, um, I could probably drive over there myself, but I'm not thinking real good right now. So you think you could come and drive me? He said, I'm on my way, man. Then I called Pastor. Pastor volunteered to do the same thing. Hey, I'll come and drive you over here, I said. No, thank you. I, thanks, but I, I got it covered. Brian's going to do it. He said, well, if you just need for me to come and be over there, I'll drive over there. I said, well, let me, let me see what's going on. Uh, Shannon texted me and said, if you need me over there, I, I can be in Houston in three hours. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting because, you know, it takes most people three and a half hours. 
to get over there. But when Shannon said three, I, I thought, you know, she can probably do it. She can probably do it. So I said, no, let me see what's going on when I get over there. So we went. By the time I got there, uh, Peg was in uh, cardiac ICU. They, they intubated her. They had her on a breathing machine, and she was out. Uh, Susan was going in surgery. So uh, that's what I was met with when I got there. Now, um, they kept Peg sedated the first day and a half, and then they brought her up out of it. And uh, when she came out, um, her memory was shot. She didn't, couldn't remember anything. She didn't know where she was. She thought she, she thought she was in Lafayette. She didn't know she was in Houston. She couldn't remember driving over there. She couldn't remember that Susan was in the hospital. And you know, the neuropsychologist in me kicked in and I started assessing her memory and uh, she had retrograde, what we call retrograde amnesia for the previous two days prior to the incident. She couldn't remember anything that happened. Now, I can tell you uh, from, from my perspective, that's not a good sign when it comes to brain function. I've seen a lot of people over the years with head injuries and various kinds of brain impairments um, that had less retrograde amnesia than that, and they've never been the same since. So this is buzzing around in my head at the time. In the meantime, they did surgery on Susan. They went in and uh, removed the gallbladder. And so they told me, okay, we think that's going to do it. Everything's going to be fine. Well, it wasn't fine. She didn't get better. Her liver enzymes were sky high. Her bilirubin was very, kept going up instead of down. Bilirubin is kind of what's responsible for getting you jaundiced. And so uh, they said, well, we're going to do another endoscopy on her. So they scoped her again, and this time they, the stent that they put in was plugged up a little, a little bit more with some more infection. So they cleaned that out again, made sure it was draining good, and uh, said, okay, now she's going to be fine. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, she wasn't fine. Uh, her liver was really not functioning, so they diagnosed her with hepatitis. When he told me that, I said, whoa. I said, hepatitis? I said, what kind of hepatitis? There's more than one type. I said, because this girl's never done drugs in her life. She said, no, no, it's not hepatitis C, it's not hepatitis B, it's this other hepatitis. And he explained it to me. I said, oh, well, so basically it means her liver is just sick, not working well. He said, that's, that's what it means. I said, okay. So, she's not getting better. <clears throat> so I had this little talk with one of her doctors, and they called in every specialist you can think of. Infectious disease specialist, liver specialist, and they couldn't figure it out. 
Well, I talked with one of them. I said, look, you've had ample time to get this figured out. And, and I admit, by that time, I was a tad bit grumpy, folks. <laughs> I was averaging about three hours of sleep a night, sleeping in Susan's room on this thing that they call a couch. It's about as hard as that bench right there, that altar, okay? In my clothes, and you know, in a hospital, you can't get sleep. You're in there every 30 minutes. So I was averaging about three hours, so I was, I was a bit testy. And I, so I told him, I said, it's time you guys get this figured out. And nicest guy put his hand on my shoulder. He said, I promise you, we're going to figure this out. He said, we're trying to rule everything out that we can. He said, but I promise you. And I looked right at him and I said, oh, you don't know what you're saying right now. Somebody makes me a promise. I said, I'm going to hold you to that. And I said, and if you don't keep your promise, I'm coming, looking for you. Let me tell you how I am. Guys, I think most of you can relate to this. Over the years, you know, and I, I preached a sermon here on uh, surviving persecution back in September of last year. Some of you may re recall that message. And I, I told you then, you know, over the years, man, the enemy has attacked me. I've gotten off every area of my life. And, and you know, uh, to me, if people, you know, if it's just me, you know, I just let it roll off. I pray about it. I forgive people. I move on. But don't mess with my family. Don't mess with my family. Okay? Because uh, a side of RH is going to come out that most people don't want to see. Okay? Now, in the meantime, Peg is in ICU. Uh, in a lot of pain, by the way, because... Uh, you know, they did CPR on her for a long time, and all that compression caused a lot of soft tissue damage, and she was in a lot of pain. Could hardly move. And uh, this hospital that they were at, a huge hospital, Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston, and uh, of course, Egg was in the North Tower, and Susan was in the South Tower. Complete opposite ends of the hospital. Uh, I timed it. I timed it. To get from uh, one room to the other, walking very briskly, it was a brisk eight-minute walk. And when I say brisk walk, it was like a slow jog. Okay? And I did that every hour on the hour. Go spend an hour with Peg, come back, spend an hour with Susan. And I wanted to talk with the docs, you know, make sure what was going on. So, all this was going on. Susan, Peg was getting better. Cognitively, she started clearing up. And each day was a little better. Each day was a little better. Her memory started clearing up. Now, she, she still doesn't remember the what happened to her. She had a ventricular fibrillation, which means an arrhythmia of the heart. The heart stopped beating and she collapsed. 
On top of that, uh, she banged her head real good on the floor and got a concussion from that. Um, and she still got a little bit of a shiner, but looking a lot better. Uh, when it first happened, um, yeah, thank you. That was good. When it first happened, uh, I told her it looked like she'd been in the ring with Rocky Balboa. And she looked at me, she said, did I win? I said, yeah, baby, you won, you're still here. Now, um, I still couldn't figure out what was going on with Susan. Finally, uh, they put her on what they call a bile thinner. And as soon as they put her on that, she started getting better. Her numbers started coming down. And they kept her a little longer. She was there almost two weeks. Uh, and there were a lot of other things going on. She was in the midst of changing jobs at the time, okay, which uh, complicated things. We had to talk to her new employer, her old employer, insurance people. So there was a lot going on. Now, when I thought about all this, I, I didn't want to just get up here and give you a testimony of what was happening to us. I want to give you something that you can hang on to. That you can hang on to. You see, uh, what was God doing during all this time? What was God doing? Because okay, you know, when, you're, when you go through something like this, it's easy to start to say, where are you? Where are you, Lord? Where are you? This doesn't look good right now. Well, let me tell you where it was. Uh, you know, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He will put you in remembrance of all that I have said. Now, you know, I've thought about that many times. What, what does that mean? Well, it's Scripture. Okay? Holy Spirit will quicken in us Scripture at the right time for the right reason that will help us. This is why you've heard me teach on this, pastors taught on this many times. It's important to read your Bible. It's important to memorize some scriptures. Why? Well, he can't put you in remembrance of it if you've never learned it to begin with. You with me? Now, uh, there were two scriptures that he quickened in me that I hung on, hung on to the whole week. One was, uh, I don't know if we have the, going to have these on the screen, but uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me. And the other one was 2 Corinthians 12.9. God's power is perfected in my weakness. Now I have to tell you, I, I was feeling pretty weak at the time. But amazingly, I'd sit up every morning on that, from that board I was sleeping on, 
tired, worn out, and these scriptures would come to me. And I'd say, okay, Lord, all right, perfect your strength in me because I'm weak right now. And folks, when I tell you I would get this supernatural burst of energy, I'm not, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. Because I'd get up and I'd go hard all day long, back and forth, back and forth, talking to doctors, uh, doing all kinds of things, all day long. Now, at the end of the day, I was pretty tired. Now, during this time, there were so many God moments. God would bring people my way to say something to me. And let me tell you, we were, we were famous in this hospital. <laughs> Everywhere I went, even the cafeteria, people knew about us. Okay? And somebody would say something. Oh, I'm praying for you. Oh, my gosh. How you doing? You doing okay? Uh, you know, I'm going to pray for you. One in particular, I'll share one in particular with you. I'm in ICU, and uh, it was a small unit. There were only eight little cubicles, and I wouldn't call them rooms. They just looked little cubicles with a curtain. And I was there, so I just stepped out into the corridor there just to kind of catch my breath. And I'm standing there, and I look down toward the nursing station, and this little lady is coming down, walking toward me. And she gets a few feet away, and she says, Are you okay? I said, uh, Well, I'm hanging in there. You know? I mean, I wasn't going to say, Oh, yes, I'm great. I wasn't doing great. But I said, Well, I'm hanging in there. She walks up to me, and Scripture starts rolling out of her mouth. I mean... One scripture after another. You know, she's like she was like a, a walking Strong's concordance. I'm not I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you, one after another, after another, after another, after another. And I, I looked at her and said, um, okay, you're a believer. I said, We're believers too. She said, Oh, I know that, honey. I know that. She said, I'm coming down the hall. I looked at you and the Lord said, That's a believer, that's a believer. Just like that. I mean, she is fired up, okay? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah. She looked over, over my shoulder at Peggy laying there. She said, oh, that's a miracle. God doing a miracle right there. That's a miracle, honey. Now, I don't think it was a coincidence that we sang that song today. David, he's a miracle-working God. Now, I know Pastor has, has taught in the last few weeks on the gifts of the Spirit. Some people will tell you they don't operate anymore. Passed away with the apostles. And I can't tell you how many Christians over the years have talked to me and said, you know, uh, I don't ever see miracles. I, I never see miracles. Uh, you know, all that stuff that Jesus did, I don't think, you know, I don't think he does that anymore. So, if anybody here has been struggling with that, baby, could you stand up, please? Turn around, wave for me, baby. 
the miracle-working God. Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm excited. And I don't apologize for it. When God does a miracle in your life, you better be excited about it, folks. Now, why do I say it's a miracle? Well, um, when you have no heartbeat for 12 to 13 minutes, uh, by all definitions, simply put, you are dead. You understand what I'm saying? You're dead. When you have no heartbeat for 13 minutes. Now, fortunately, they didn't. They didn't give up. They didn't give up on it. Now, <laughs> those of you who know me, you know that Easter is my favorite holiday, right? And you know why? Resurrection. The two topics I get really wacko over. The baptism in the Holy Ghost and resurrection. Well, you think I was wacko before? <laughs> resurrection right there, folks. If you don't believe it, look at my wife. Yeah, give God glory. Give God glory. Give Him glory. California and especially here, I'm not exaggerating. You guys interceded for us, and I'm convinced that these things that God was doing during that time was a result of prayer support. Me being able to hang in there energy-wise, all these little God moments of, of, of encouraging me, this old lady in the hallway, when she, when she got saying, it's, she's a miracle, I said, uh, well, good, good. She said, she said uh, you, you, you okay? I said, well, I, I can do all things uh, through Christ Jesus. And she, she finished it for me. Which strengthens me. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, this lady was on fire, man. I said, yeah, thank you. She said, okay, okay, honey, you be blessed. Oh, God's doing a miracle. Everything's going to be fine. You be blessed. And off she went. And I never saw her again the whole time I was there. Never saw her again. And she was on staff there. But I'll tell you what, when she left, I'm pumped. Okay? I mean, we had a church in the hallway. Okay? 
And I felt pumped up. I felt better. And he did that the entire time. One thing after another. All right? Now, I want to talk to you about what was happening. I believe that this was a spiritual attack on the orange family. Now, you might say, yeah, but Doc, you know, people get sick, they're all, you know, everything's not the devil. And, and, and I agree with that. I, you know, I don't, I don't think he's under every rock. People get sick for all kinds of reasons, folks. All right? Why do I say this, is an, this was an attack? Well, for several reasons. One, um, a few months ago, you may recall, and uh, Mabel reminded me of it, um, up here, I told you um, that what the Lord had shown me was that the enemy was coming against the women in the body of Christ. The women. Y'all remember that? Now, never thinking it would be my women. I believe he's coming against the women, and I'm not trying to scare all you women in here. Because he's already worked the men over. He's attacked the men pretty good over the years. But you know what? The men, especially in this congregation, stood fast. You stood fast. You fought it through. You got victory. One reason why you got victory, though, was because you had you had women in your family, wives, daughters, nieces, interceding for you, praying for you. So he couldn't get you, so now I think he said, oh, well, now I'm going to go after those prayer warriors. And you know what I say? Not today. I don't think so. <clears throat> now, you've heard me say many times, we have an enemy out there and we're in a war. I mean, we're in a war, folks. What are the odds that not one, but but the two women in my immediate family get gravely ill at the same time, in the same place. We have a niece on the other side of the family that is gravely ill, fighting terminal cancer. That's three women in my family. What are the odds of that? I don't think that's coincidence. I think the enemy is attacked. Now, many of you have been under attack, come under attack. Uh, David Clark turned me on to a song not long ago by Michael W. Smith called Surrounded. Awesome song. Not a lot of lyrics, but a lot of anointing. He said, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is the way I fight my battles. Think about that. You see, when the enemy attacks, this is what he tries to do. He tries to surround us and make us feel isolated 
and all alone, like we're the only ones fighting this battle. Right? Ah. But see, God's put us in a body to intercede for each other. And that's so important. You know, when I was listening to that song, David, I was reminded of a very famous story in the Marine Corps. Uh, I don't know if they still teach this, but they, they taught this when I was in boot camp. It's about uh, the Marines in the Korean War. And there was this uh, time where the Marines, you know, are very aggressive and they're always pushing forward and taking territory. And they had pushed so far into North Korea uh, that uh, they looked around and they realized they were surrounded. The Chinese had come in to support the North Korean army and they surrounded the Marines at a place called the Chosan Reservoir. And they were outnumbered about 30 to 1. Now these are not good odds, folks. And the weather was 30 below zero. And the Marines were not really equipped for winter. So the, uh, the officers decided, you know, if we stay here, we're going to get annihilated. We're going to wipe us out. So we need to get back to our lines in the south. The problem was they were surrounded. Okay? But they turned around and they went. And they had to literally fight their way out. Took them two weeks. Day and night they were fighting. They broke through and they made it back to friendly lines. Now, afterwards, uh, they, they interviewed um, a man named General Chesty Puller, who went on to ultimately become the Commandant of the Marine Corps. He was involved in all this. And they interviewed him and they said, Well, General, you know, Marines, uh, this is the first time in Marine history that Marines have ever retreated uh, from the enemy. How do you feel about that? Chesty looked at him, this is a famous saying in the Marine Corps. He looked at him and he said, Retreat? Boy, we just attacked in another direction. <laughs> huh? Huh? Yeah. Which was true. We just attacked in another direction. Now, I want that to stick with you. Because when we get surrounded by the enemy, I don't want you giving up. I don't want you surrendering. I don't want you retreating. I just want you to attack in another direction with the Holy Ghost, okay? Ask the Holy Ghost to gear you up and to give you the weapons necessary and what else? Call in the troops. Call your prayer partners. Call the church. Call prayer warriors and say, uh, I'm under attack here and it's really bad. Okay? Listen, I, I, I've told this story before. Years ago, we, we were under serious attack. And it looked bad. And it had gone on and on and on for quite a while. And I was praying one day, and I've been battling, I've been doing spiritual warfare and all that, but it, it looked bad. And so, I, 
told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, in the military, when your lines are overrun and they're in your trenches, uh, you call in an airstrike on your own position. Because if, if you're going to go down, might as well take some of them out with you. I said, well, that's where I'm at right now. So uh, I'm calling in a spiritual airstrike on my own position right now. Okay. And I can tell you, in a matter of a few days, the attack was broken. Things started getting better. You see, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. Especially if you love God with all your heart and you bear fruit for Him. Do you think Satan's just going to sit back and say, Oh, okay, let him do that. No, he's not. And I'm not trying to, you know, get anybody nervous or anxious in here. Because I want you to know that when you come under attack, uh, we've got a commander-in-chief that is more powerful than any enemy. And when he calls in the troops... Uh, Satan is in trouble. Now, yeah, I'm passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I get fired up and worked up. Yeah. You're just going to have to bear with me because I'm going to always be this way. <laughs> and especially now. Now, I don't know, you know, we're, we're going to, Peg and I are going to attack in another direction. And we don't know quite yet what that means. But we're in prayer about it. Because this is, this is just galvanized our commitment to the Lord even more. And I didn't think it could be more, but oh, it is. Now, I don't know if I should have said this or not. Well, back when I was rebuking the devil, but I told him, I said, oh, dude. You think I, you think, you think I came after you before? I'm waiting on the Holy Ghost to show me how, but I'm coming after you again. I'm not going to come after you in the flesh. I'm going to come after you in the power of the Holy Ghost. Because let me tell you something, folks. In the flesh, he will work us over. He's destroyed a lot better men than me over the centuries. Ah, but with Jesus, I want you to get fired up about this. I I'm fired up. 